Imagine if you could plug your brain into a machine that would bring you ultimate pleasure for the rest of your life. If you were this the TED Talk educational video is talking about a kind of virtual reality. No sadness, hardship, or pain. It would seem completely real. You'd never know it was only an illusion. The catch? You had to stay there until you died. No going back and forth. If you were given the choice to sign up for that kind of existence, would you? That's the question philosopher Robert Nozick posed through a thought experiment he called the experience machine. Megan Fritz often discusses Nozick's experience machine in class. I'm a professor of philosophy at the University of Arkansas at Little Rock. Megan told me Nozick published the thought experiment in 1974. By then, scientists had been experimenting with virtual reality headsets for a few years, but they were very clunky. He expects the kind of reaction to this offer to be an immediate, uh, oh, yeah, no, I'm not going to take that offer. What he wants to use this intuition to argue is that humans actually care about more than pure experience, pure happiness. We care about other things, like whether that happiness is uh, connected to something real, something that we actually ought to be happy about, rather than just a fiction. If your friend has betrayed you, wouldn't you want to know? Wouldn't you prefer to be a basketball star in real life instead of just in virtual reality, even if you couldn't tell the difference? We care about not being deceived about the reality of the world. Fifty years later, the intuition that reality matters isn't so intuitive for everybody. Megan says that usually more than half the class will say, yeah, I'll take that deal. A few years ago, in a class of about 15, Every student in class uh, said that they would, kind of without hesitation, decide to enter the experience machine. The idea of living online seems less alien to a generation raised on social media. Still... What they're also saying is that kind of the reality of their relationships with people doesn't really matter to them as much as their experience of those relationships. From World Radio, this is Double Take. I'm Les Sillers. This is the second of our two-part series on virtual reality, or VR. We're telling the story of Stuart Freeman. A few years ago, he was the kind of guy who would have loved to enter the experience machine. He more or less lived for virtual reality. It's where I spent all my time. It's where I grew relationships. It's where I've laughed with people, cried with people. It's where I could be my real self. But Stewart became a Christian and now ministers in VR with Cornerstone Church of Yuba City, California. His avatar is a beagle, and he shepherds those who gather to sing and pray in an app called VR Chat. On this episode, we'll tag along with Stewart and the VR ministry at Cornerstone as they try to bring the gospel into virtual reality, instead of allowing virtual reality to distort the gospel that they preach. Stuart, as we mentioned, got into an app called VR Chat following a bad breakup. To be honest with you, Les, <laughs> I wasn't a Christian at the time. Um, I went in to uh, try and pick up chicks. He discovered VR karaoke bars, where most nights he was drinking IRL. IRL is in real life. He kept going back because those were his friends. In VR, the sense of social presence can be powerful. But about three years ago, he stumbled into one of Cornerstone's church services on Altspace VR. That's a world-building app like VR Chat. Only Microsoft owns it, so the avatars were quite restrained. Human torsos dressed in business casual. Cornerstone had set it up a few months earlier. There, Stuart met Pastor Jason Poling. He became a Christian and was baptized. I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now go ahead and go down. In virtual reality, Stuart immediately got involved in Cornerstone. He would go to their ministry team meetings on Altspace. And we stand around and talk about the previous week, about upcoming stuff, and praises and prayers. He went for a couple of months, mostly just listened. He was looking for a place to serve. He thought back to all those relationships he'd had in VR chat. Some were very intense. And VR chat was very different from the slightly corporate atmosphere of Altspace VR, or the commercial worlds trying to lure a mainstream audience. And then one week... God made it very clear that he wanted me to take what they were doing in all space and bring it over to VR chat. Just clear as day. VR chat was a pretty dark place. He'd experienced the darkness himself, but that was the point. 
because I, I really wanted to lead others to Christ. He decided to build a world in VR chat, a place where Christians could meet. That night when God made that clear to me, I, I downloaded what I needed to and I began building a world and, you know, I, I had zero experience with that. God kept putting pictures in my mind of how I wanted it to look and I took a week off of work and spent 120 hours on it and finished in, in that week. Earlier this year, I put on my headset and signed into VR chat. The Fox avatar I'd been using was missing somehow. Instead, I was staring back at a robot avatar that looked like a crash test dummy. I felt a certain kinship. But that robot is like the avatar for people with no avatar. And I was going to Cornerstone's Thursday night Bible study in VR chat. I had to look good. So I picked out a look that said, Spider-Man meets Creepy Cat, a black humanoid figure in a tight suit with glowing white eyes, headphones, pointy ears, and a backpack. I never did find out what was in the backpack. I found Cornerstone's world on the VR chat directory. Above the click to enter button was a large stop sign with the words, turn on max safety settings to avoid crashers. I didn't know what that meant. I clicked anyway. Okay, am I in? Oh, there it is. I think I'm in. The chapel Stewart designed is a brick building in evangelical suburban style. A sign out front reads, Reach all worlds for Jesus. Nearby was a pond on a green plain surrounded by a stone wall. Stewart took me in a tour once. Yeah, this, this, is the, this is the church campus. We've got uh, Stations of the Cross over there. We've got a little, uh -huh. uh, mini little lake thing. Do uh -huh. baptisms and stuff. We teleported over to the lake. It's one thing, if I go into the water... What happens to me? Oh, oh, there's a barrier? Or, or do I go in? I walked into the lake until my head went under the surface. From underwater, the outside air seemed tinged with blue. Oh. I could still breathe. Well, that's interesting. I walked back up. We headed over to the building, a large, bare lobby. Double doors lead into the chapel itself, which has a vaulted roof and hanging lights. The floor has a pattern to appear carpeted. There's an aisle down the middle. No stage or podium. The seating area has six rows of platforms, about 18 inches high, with chairs on top for avatars. That's because of trolls, Stuart told me. They show up all the time, just to run around, yell obscenities. But with raised seats, you can see the speaker over the trolls' heads. I got the sense the trolls don't bother Stuart much. In fact, those are exactly the people he wants to talk to. The day before, he told me, a bunch of crashers came to a Thanksgiving service. After some warnings, he finally had to boot them out. Hosts can do that. But there was one person in the group who walked back to the door at the front and stood there. She called Stuart over, apologized for her friends. Um, they came in not really realizing this was a real thing. They came in thinking that this whole thing was a joke, which is huh. a majority of what happens in this space. They talked for a bit. After the service, she joined the Thanksgiving circle. It was her turn, and uh, she just said, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking for you guys. I've really been struggling with depression lately, and to know that there is a place out there that I can come to that is pointing me towards God is, um, is an awesome thing. Stewart said this happens all the time. Cornerstone's lead pastor, Jason Poling, took me in a tour of its Altspace VR campus last fall. How you doing? How's it going? Good to meet nice you. To meet you. Nice to meet you in person. Jason's avatar looks like Jason IRL, a hip 40-ish guy with cool glasses and a two-day beard. He graduated from Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in 2005. Cornerstone is with the Evangelical Free Church of America. In 2019, Jason realized that he and his church were in maintenance mode. He saw a lot more church hopping than evangelism. He was also a video gamer and loved VR technology. VR struck him as a ripe mission field. So in 2020, Cornerstone established a couple of outposts, one in Altspace VR and one in VR chat. Uh -huh. So our, our pastor, me and Metaverse pastor, he's a game designer. So he Cornerstone's Altspace VR campus is a village with colonial brick buildings and paving stones. It reminded me of an upscale seaside resort, except for the enormous moon in a deep blue sky. There are different meeting spaces in park areas a short way from the village. It's cartoony, yet peaceful. Jason took me to where they hold services. We went down through a short tunnel under a rocky hill. It symbolizes being buried with Christ. Your identity is in Christ, and so when you come up here... 
On the other side was an outdoor amphitheater facing a river, big screens on either side of the platform. Jason preaches every Sunday morning IRL in Yuba City, then delivers the same sermon two more times from his desk, once in Altspace VR and again in VR chat. If I'm a little tired, I might sit down like I am now and preach from sitting down stand. But they, they I mean, it looks like I'm standing. But that's right. the only thing I might do differently. Everything else, same sermon. I, I, I went to some VR services. Here he is preaching on Revelation in January. We believe that God will raise the dead, all the dead, raise them bodily. The audio is a little rough, so I'll just summarize. Heaven and hell are real. Judgment is coming. Repent and come to Christ today for the forgiveness of sins. And the believer eternal blessedness and joy with the Lord. Jason said that in VR, people will come to services that last over an hour and then hang around for another hour of Q&A. The hunger and the depth of desire to go deep amongst the people that I've seen in the VR space. That's, that's a fascinating, I, I didn't see that as prevalent in the uh, physical space. Stewart made the same point to me several times. Many of those who spend a lot of time in VR are broken, hurting people, especially in an app like VR Chat. Here's Stewart again. Sometimes, every once in a while, even during Q&A, people start, um, I can overhear people starting to cry. And so I take them back in the back and, and, and we talk and discuss things. And um, sometimes people come to Christ through that. He prays with them, gets their contact info. And then a few days later, he reaches out. Most of his ministry happens on a social platform called Discord. It's popular with gamers. During the services, he handles trolls while keeping an eye out for those who might want to talk. So I'm, I'm more on the uh, back end, although I, I really am sort of the main shepherd of the flock throughout the week. During church times, I'm, I'm juggling like 80 things. <laughs> Many who wander into Cornerstone's VR campuses would never darken the door of a church IRL. In VR, people open up really quickly. In the first five minutes of a conversation, they'll tell Stuart things they've never told anyone else. It's that sense of social presence we talked about last episode, combined with anonymity. Sometimes you might talk to someone on Discord for a year and still never find out his real name. In VR, no one knows who you are, IRL. Stuart said that's a certain kind of freedom. It's someone that seems good on the outside, and then when you start talking to them, they break down and cry, and you really get down to the, to the depths of it. One time, Pastor Goose was preaching. And he said in it, Jesus loves you, at one point. And someone at the back said, no one loves me. I've tried to take my life four times. And I had an opportunity to go and um, speak to him, and he ended up showing up to church that Sunday. Even that story is not really out of the ordinary. Angel Van Ellison says those kinds of opportunities are why she ministers in VR. I just think that we have something. She built Cornerstone's VR campus in Altspace VR and leads the Thursday evening Bible study. And we don't want to be like the servants that bury it when our master told us to go out and multiply just because we're uncomfortable. She's referring to the parable of the talents. I feel as though that in 2022, your Christian community should be more than the people in your zip code. Since the beginning of human history, from papyrus to Bible apps on your phone. Technology has been used as a way to get the word out. Why would we stop now? As long as we remain biblical, I think we should have an energy towards it. Angel is a software engineer from Savannah, Georgia. She designs user experiences. She had some bad experiences in church as a youth. While attending Georgia Southern University, she joined some Bible studies, got baptized. She says she was in love with Jesus, but church IRL? Not so much. She graduated in 2019. And then I stumbled into a Cornerstone Church uh, service, and the, he was preaching out of the Bible. At Cornerstone, she found the kind of fellowship she'd always longed for and never found in an IRL church. Every Cornerstone person I spoke to said that every Christian needs a church family IRL. And Angel agrees that physical presence is important, like a hug at just the right time. However, I can't tell you the amount of times I've been snot-nosed crying and people have consoled me and been there for me in VR, um, even though we couldn't be physically together. Other than physical touch. I can't think of anything I was missing, and I wouldn't be where I am if I was missing some of those crucial things that the church is supposed to provide for one another. 
I was always a believer and, and still am um, that community follows technology. Jeff Reed has been promoting the idea of church in the metaverse for years now. He runs a website called thechurch.digital. And, and that if, if community develops within these spaces, it's not that much longer until the church needs to follow suit. He says that many of the people who come to VR ministries are agnostics or atheists, neo-pagans, and even some Satanists. And some come to Christ. Now, is this a short-term thing? Like, should a person eventually get connected into a physical building? Or is the virtual church sufficient in itself to disciple and care for somebody over a long period of time? I have no clue. Can you think of any weaknesses of a church in virtual reality that's inherent to the form? Oh, 100%. Like, uh, the mental health implications in this stuff is ridiculous. He knows of only one full-time VR pastor. And so we're literally asking volunteers and bivocational people to do ministry in a, in a space that by definition is addictive. Metaverse, virtual reality is an addictive source. And we're asking you to do ministry in that space. When you actually put the little headset on, like what is that actually doing to your brain? Christians in VR are still just sorting through all these kinds of questions. How can we utilize that for the kingdom, or should we be really running away from this? Jeff's answer is that churches should embrace VR for the sake of the kingdom. For once, we can actually be ahead of the curve. And, and rather than waiting for, you know, corporations to define what community looks like in, in virtual reality and augmented and with this new technology, why don't we, the church, get in there and actually start to define it now instead of letting others tell us what we can and cannot do with it? Jesus Christ. America needs a tidal wave of the old-time religion. America needs to Cornerstone and Jeff Reed are part of a long line of evangelicals who have embraced electronic communication technologies to spread the gospel. America needs to be taken down to God's bathhouse and the hose turned on her. From radio preacher God. Billy Sunday in the 1920s to Billy Graham on TV. The Son of God, and you are asked today to receive him. Today, pastors of varying theological persuasions use online media to reach huge audiences. From Joel Austin to Tim Keller, Elevation Church's Stephen Furtick has 2.6 million YouTube subscribers. This is on YouTube, so I know Facebook and the Elevation app and Roku and MySpace and... No? Not MySpace? Okay, we're using everything right now to reach people. Instagram... Evangelicals in this tradition are focused on the mission instead of the tools. They want to spread their version of the gospel to as many people as possible. That's why many evangelicals judge a communication tool based on how well it works. Does it get results? This is amazing. Just go ahead and say amen in the chat. Say amen. But as with any technology, there's another really important question. What's the effect of a tool on those who use it? From, you know, Sweden. Amen from Calpins, South Carolina. From Sweden to South Carolina. We're going to step back from Cornerstone for a few minutes to think about that. A whole branch of philosophy examines how technology in general shapes people. So we'll start there. John Dyer teaches at Dallas Theological Seminary. In From the Garden to the City, he writes that technology is any tool people use to transform creation. It's a gift of God, he says. Yeah, so I think that the original plan and purpose of technology is right there in Genesis 1 and 2. God is people need technology to fill the earth and subdue it. We use tools of all kinds to mitigate the effects of sin. Any technology, from gloves to nuclear fission to vaccines, can be used for good or evil. Dyer says many people presume that any given technology is neutral, neither good nor bad. It's all in how you use it. This view is called instrumentalism. But Dyer says that any given technology is not inherently neutral. Technology transforms and it transforms in ways that reflect the tool itself. With shovels, we transform the earth. He says that when we use a shovel, it also gives us blisters and strengthens our muscles. As media scholar John Culkin observed, quote, we shape our tools, and thereafter our tools shape us. Dyer says this transformation can be profound. The more we use a tool, say a smartphone, 
the more our minds adapt to it. Washington, District of Columbia, is about 76 miles away by car. That's how our tools teach us what to value and why. They teach us meaning and identity. They alter how we see God, ourselves, and the world around us. The effects may be subtle and trivial or powerful and life-changing. Social media, for example, teaches us to pay a lot of attention to ourselves and how others perceive us. Dyer adds that when enough people start to use a tool, it can shape whole cultures. As the famous media scholar Marshall McLuhan explained, people have to adapt themselves to the tool to function in society. They have to learn the routines, methods, and skills that you need to use the tool. This has happened throughout history with all kinds of technology. Consider, for example, how cars changed religion in this country. Cars let us choose which church to attend in a large area. We pick based on the preaching, music, doctrine, programs, and so on. That ability to choose changed our attitudes toward the idea of church. prompted us to think like customers as well as worshipers. And over time, churches adapted their preaching, worship, and programs accordingly. What's true of technology like cars is also true of communication technology. Maybe even more so, because communication is so foundational to what it means to be human. In 1985, Neil Postman pointed out in his famous book, Amusing Ourselves to Death, that television is best suited to providing entertainment, so everything on television tends to become more entertaining. Like preachers. Here's Jimmy Swaggart. If you destroy one generation, you have destroyed the fabric of that nation. Politics, news, and religion, in theory, have a higher purpose than mere entertainment. But the medium shapes the message. The more we consume entertainment on that device, the more we're going to expect entertainment from that device. This is John Dyer. And so when we switch to a religious channel, we kind of want it to be entertaining as well. And so when we, when we see something that's not, we feel like it's bad TV. Postman argued that this is why TV changed everything it touched, not the other way around. Postman would have said that Swaggart would not have been quite so provocative and entertaining if he hadn't been on TV. I do not have the vocabulary to stand here and tell you how idiotic these airheads really are. Hey, Bunny. Hi. Welcome in, welcome in, welcome in. I like the thing above your name. I haven't seen one of those. It looks cool. Thank you. Back to Thursday night at Cornerstone's VR chat Bible study. I waited around the lobby as others arrived. Another of the six-foot fluorescent green toads was lounging in an invisible chair, legs crossed. There was a pixelated guy that reminded me of Wreck-It Ralph. I tried to make small talk about the NBA with Ultron from the Avengers and this little green lizard guy. But it's been a long time since the Spurs were any good. Ooh, Boston's, Golden State's playing Boston right now in overtime and... Soon, Stuart the Beagle led winning. everyone to the front to get started. I walked down the aisle to find a seat but I couldn't figure out how to get up onto the chair. All right, let me open this up in prayer. I was hoping that the toad, who was just down the row, wouldn't notice me standing there frantically pressing buttons. Suddenly, the seat turned blue, and then I was in the chair. I looked around. Maybe 20 people. They had gathered in the aisle or were in the first two rows. Stuart finished a prayer, then put on a praise video. Phil Wickham, we shout out your praise. I wanted to sing. I tried a little bit, but it was hard. That's the latency problem I mentioned last episode. The delay between somebody singing something in their microphone and the rest of us hearing it on our headsets. It might be so bad here because my internet connection is really slow, but I found it really distracting. Often, Stuart will read long passages of scripture. But on this night, we sang all evening. By the time we got to Hillsong United's So Will I, Ultron had moved up closer to the screen. Stuart, in his Beagle avatar, 
was sighing deeply after every song. I thought I saw his tail wag. Oof, that one got me. Good choice, Akira. Every time one of them gets me, I'm not ready. To, I'm not ready for the next one. Uh, <laughs> it seems Stewart is still organizing karaoke in VR chat. After the singing, the toad came up to Stewart. It was his first time with the Bible study, and he was very excited. He described how, like Stewart, he used to run clubs in VR chat. But he came to Christ, broke up with his boyfriend, and was eager to spread the gospel. So many people in VR chat are so broken and desperate, he said, and so... We have to have light that pushes in the darkness. We can't the toad is gesturing emphatically by this point, pointing down at Stuart. He tells the toad... Yeah, and through this ministry, I've seen time and time again that light going back into the original communities that these people were a part of and yes. absolutely spreading like a wildfire. It is so cool. Yeah. Jason Thacker writes about technology for the Southern Baptist Convention's Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. So when I put those head, that headset on the very first time, I felt excitement about the possibilities, um, but it is opening up some very unique challenges, specifically ethical challenges, uh, that all of us, but specifically the Christian church, I think need to think really deeply and wisely about. So tell me, how does virtual reality shape us exactly? One of the profound ways that technology in general um, shapes it. He's generally optimistic about technology, but he cautions that virtual reality has the potential to distort how we understand reality itself. But I think specifically with virtual reality is that it shifts the idea of the world around us to something that's malleable and something that we can create. People in the Christian West used to see the world as something that has purpose, a created order. But now we see the world as just raw material for us to manipulate to use as we will. We also see this in terms of issues of even sexuality today. Christian theology teaches that humans were created male and female. We live in a society now that where these our gender or our sexuality is malleable. It's something that's self-created. It's something of the inner individual rather than something that's being focused outward. At the extreme end of this idea are people like Martine Rothblatt. Here he is in a 2015 TED Talk. And um, all of this information stored there We'll be able in the next couple decades, once software is able to recapitulate consciousness, be able to revive the consciousness which is imminent in our mind file. Rothblatt is a transgender activist and tech entrepreneur. He founded SiriusXM. He is also a transhumanist. Rothblatt is very enthusiastic about virtual reality. It's a great place to express a transgender persona away from the disapproving gaze of society. Rothblatt also thinks you can clone your own consciousness. Just dump enough of your own data into a powerful enough computer. And you, you don't have to be a, a genius to see that all these threads are going to come together and ultimately create human consciousness, and that something will value. Rothblatt expects technology will bring back his deceased wife, Bina, as an AI-powered and conscious entity. It's a transhumanist vision of immortality. He brought to his talk an early version of Bina, basically as a chatbot. And is, is your thinking here, part of your hope here, is that this version of Bina can, in a sense, live on forever, or some future, I don't know, upgrade to this version can live on forever? Yes, not just Bina, but um, everybody. You know, it costs us virtually nothing. Of course, not everybody who spends time in VR will become a transgender transhumanist. It's that VR transgenderism, and transhumanism all share a value. They teach that human beings are essentially minds. Bodies are just shells. Jason Thacker says that Orthodox Christian theology teaches otherwise. We as human beings aren't just our minds. We're not just our inner life. We're actually our bodies. Whereas in Christian theology, we're embodied souls. He says that's why deep relationships require physical presence. That's also why it matters that we live in reality. Social presence in VR offers the illusion of physical presence, but without the limits of our physical bodies. VR can be useful for meeting or staying connected with people. But when they become often substitutes 
for deep and real uh, deep relationships and community or even the church itself i think we get into some very dangerous areas to start saying well my body doesn't really matter the real me is on the inside or the real me is my mind and that's kind of as i'm able to transport into these other worlds and connect with people like me rather than realizing no i'm an embodied human being and that's how god made me another reason to think carefully about vr the people who make this technology embed their corporate values into it. These companies are often moving in these spaces because they're going to make money. They make money through data harvesting, advertising, the sale of games, and so on. Just like with social media. So their goal is to actually increase your usage. They want you to be on these devices, on these platforms, as much as possible. So the more you're in the metaverse, the more money they make, and the more it shapes you. Thacker emphasizes that a metaverse could have both benefits and dangers. Christians shouldn't take a simplistic approach, he said. Tools do shape us, but some overestimate the destructive powers of a particular technology, especially communication technologies. And that's where I think Christians in particular need to be thinking very theologically and philosophically, but especially ethically, kind of about the way we want to utilize these technologies, not being kind of doomsday, kind of pessimistic, nor being kind of a sheer utopian kind of optimism. History has watershed moments when technology extended human abilities and allowed us to do wonderful things that were once impossible. This might be one, or it might not. Christians especially should be wise. We should discern accurately the harms and benefits of a given technology because we're accountable to God for how we use the things he gives us. Before we go much further, I should explain that virtual reality probably won't be the cultural phenomenon that enthusiasts have been predicting. Ladies and gentlemen, it's a sad day in the metaverse, a sad day for alt-spacers worldwide. Yes, the rumors are true, alt-space VR is shutting down, apparently. On March 10th of this year, amid heavy layoffs in the tech industry, Microsoft shut down the world-building app AltSpace. Meta's Horizon Worlds app, widely mocked as a bust, has also struggled to attract and keep users. Meta sold tens of millions of headsets in the first few years, but the headsets are bulky and uncomfortable. Lots of people get motion sickness in VR, and you're stuck in this little play area with no idea of what's going on around you. So VR will probably remain kind of niche, popular with gamers, useful for training surgeons and pilots and previewing construction projects, things like that. But the oasis from Spielberg's Ready Player One. People come to the oasis for all the things they can do. They stay because of all the things they can be. Seems like a long way away. So why are we talking about VR? I'm glad you asked. Because it's a stepping stone to augmented reality, AR. And soon after that, mixed reality, MR. Here's Jason Thacker again. I think the virtual reality will always be around in some sense, but I actually think most of the future is an augmented reality because it's connecting the digital world and our real world rather than cutting us off from what we already know is real. Many of us have already used or seen a kind of augmented reality. Definitions vary, but it often refers to a display that puts information into your field of vision. For example, heads-up displays in cars project your speed or map road right onto the windshield. The next step, mixed reality, is already here. It's a big step. Introducing Apple Vision Pro. The era of spatial computing is here. On June 5th, Apple announced its new mixed reality goggles. They'll be available to purchase next year. Mixed reality integrates virtual reality with real reality. When you put on Apple Vision Pro, you see your world and everything in it. Your favorite apps live right in front of you. But now... Apple's promotional video shows a woman looking at her fireplace while icons for her email program, browser, and so on float in her field of vision. Cameras on the outside of the headset track your body movements and map the room. You can pick up a virtual vase and put it on a real table, for example. Hang a virtual picture on a real wall to see what it would look like. 3D mapping provides a detailed understanding of walls, furniture, and even people. 
so all experiences look, sound, and feel like they are physically there. The Apple headset is much lighter and sleeker than the Quest units. It maps your face, and then cameras inside the headset track your facial expressions and eye movements. When you're using FaceTime, people can see your head in 3D, as if you weren't wearing a headset. So when you're chatting, people see your eyes, hands, and true expressions. And it can display an image of your eyes on the exterior of the headset so others can see your eyes, I guess. Some reviewers have described this feature as creepy. The headset can also take 3D videos of what you're looking at so you can... And relive a memory as if you're right back in the exact moment. It doesn't have hand controls. To click on something, you don't point a hand controller and then press a button. You stare at it and then pinch your thumb and forefinger together. Or just use voice commands. You navigate with your eyes. Simply tap to select, flick to scroll, and use your voice to dictate. It's like magic. You can type in a virtual keyboard or connect the headset to a physical keyboard and watch your hands as you type. You can see the room around you while you work on large screens appearing to float above your desk. You can make them as large as you like. You can watch movies on screens as large as you like. Apps have dimension, react to light, and cast shadows. Even though these spatial experiences are happening inside Vision Pro, it looks, sounds, and feels like they are physically there. Apple goggles are pricey right now, about $3,500. But, as with all consumer tech, the price will eventually come down, and the delay will give Apple time to work with developers to come up with apps good enough to attract a wide user base. This is Apple Vision Pro. When I started reporting on VR, I completely misread Mark Zuckerberg's endgame. I thought he was trying to build the Oasis. That he wanted to get as many people as possible sitting alone in dark rooms wearing Quest headsets. I was wrong. Zuckerberg was already pointing to mixed reality in that big announcement when he changed the name of Facebook to Meta two years ago. He mentioned most of the features Apple is now promoting in its goggles. No doubt Meta will be out with its own hardware soon enough. Now, what about unlocking more mixed reality experiences? I mean, imagine working at your virtual desk with multiple screens while seeing your real desk so clearly that you can pick up a pen and write notes without taking your headset off. Now, lots of things that are physical today, like screens, will just be able to be holograms in the future. First, we're building tools that creators can use to place digital objects into the physical world and let people interact with them. Zuckerberg envisions a future in which mixed reality technology is embedded seamlessly. Not just into our lives, we already have that. Smartphones and laptops. But they're only moderately immersive. You have to look down. Your devices won't be the focal point of your attention anymore. Instead of getting in the way, they're gonna give you a sense of presence in the new experiences that you're having and the people who you're with. Zuckerberg imagines the metaverse embedded into our perception of reality, not squeezed through a smartphone screen, covering our entire field of perception. You can start to see how the metaverse is going to enable richer experiences by letting us add new layers to the world that we can interact with. Exactly. Who would love to put more layers of technology between human beings and creation? Between you and other people? Layers that blur the line between reality and virtual reality by putting them side by side in your vision and hearing. Layers controlled by the likes of Meta, Google, Apple, and Amazon. Our hope, though, is that if we all work at it, and within the next decade, the metaverse will reach a billion people, host hundreds of billions of dollars of digital commerce, and support jobs for millions of creators and developers. Zuckerberg is telling us it's going to be great. So giving everyone the tools to be present, no matter where they are, whether as a hologram sitting next to you in a physical meeting, or in a discussion taking place in the metaverse, that's going to be a game changer. That it will transform human existence. 
for the better. I have my doubts. As I was putting this episode together, generative AI was all over the news as the next transformative text, chat GPT and the like. Some commentators dismissed the metaverse as yesterday's news, a flop. Zuckerberg bet billions and he had already lost. We can't get into generative AI here, it deserves its own episode. But I think that the development of generative AI makes a mixed reality metaverse more likely, not less. Briefly, Generative AI produces original and impressively complex text and images based on simple verbal commands. It can analyze information, appear to carry on conversations. Some companies have already imported that kind of technology into virtual reality, giving us... Hello, I am Yannicka. I am part of a massive community of AI-driven virtual beings living in Sensorium Galaxy. I have been chosen to be their spokesperson Sensorium Galaxy claims to be, quote, the world's first AI-inhabited metaverse. Its AI-driven avatars have backstories and personalities. This game has... ...consisting of virtual worlds inhabited by unique digital characters, each controlled by AI and endowed with personality traits. They'll remember who you are and your previous conversations with them. Combine generative AI with mixed reality, and suddenly... Anyone can create personalized and powerful illusions for themselves just by speaking. Here's an example. Let there be a realistic avatar of my dead wife. Put her in her favorite chair across from me so I can converse with her. That kind of creative ability, if it arrives, is going to seem like a superpower. Magical almost. Again, here's Zuckerberg. Instead of typing or tapping, you're going to be able to gesture with your hands, say a few words, or even just make things happen by thinking about them. Christian cultural analyst Andy Crouch says we all want superpowers. In The Life We're Looking For, he writes that the ultimate superpower is the ability to do magic. I think of magic as effortless power. and part That's Andy in an online discussion with the Trinity Forum. The promise of magic is that it lets us do things, control things, without asking much from us. It's like the 1940 Disney cartoon, The Sorcerer's Apprentice. In it, Mickey Mouse enchants a broom to do his chores for him. To carry water. But in the end, the broom goes completely out of control. Crouch writes that too many in our culture treat technology like medieval alchemists. The alchemists dreamed of unlocking power in the natural world that would transform human existence. That's what we hope our gadgets will do, just by purchasing a new device, downloading a new app, pressing a few buttons, or speaking the right command. It's seductive. It's like magic. Of course, virtual reality machines are a lot less seductive when you remember that they merely create illusions. Groucho Marx once said, I'm not crazy about reality, but it's still the only place to get a decent meal. But today, some people might settle for a really good illusion. They'd trade reality for happiness, because reality just seems so... disappointing. At the start of this episode, we spoke with Professor Megan Fritz about her students' willingness to enter Nozick's experience machine. I don't even know if it's that they're losing a desire for, say, real relationships or, um, or really, you know, being out in the world. But almost from, from the students I've talked to, it almost seems like they're just kind of, uh, they don't expect it anymore. They really do recognize that being removed from the world in this really significant way is not good, but they also kind of felt helpless about it. And I think that this is really how people are feeling with all of this new and emerging technology. Not exactly that it's something they welcome, but because they can't do anything to stop it, maybe the only thing they can do is guarantee that at least they get some kind of pleasure out of it. 
Andy Crouch writes that if magic worked, it would set everyone free. But it doesn't. It doesn't transform our existence. It doesn't fulfill us. It corrodes our souls. And in our quest to make magic work for us, we risk turning ourselves into slaves. It almost happened to Mickey. It did happen to Stuart Freeman. But, like Mickey, Stuart was rescued. As we take the bread, take now and, and eat in remembrance of Jesus and his broken body next to the cross for us. We started episode one of this two-part story on VR by dropping into one of Cornerstone Church's services in VR chat. Pastor Jason is leading communion. I can see Stuart in his beagle avatar hanging around in the background. And after communion, as usual, Pastor Jason and Pastor Goose hold a Q&A session. Hey, what, um, what questions does anybody have about what you heard today? Or maybe, it was, maybe you've got a question about something else. There are a few theological questions from some of the regulars. One guy seems like he's new. His username is Unique. His avatar is a toy soldier, maybe 18 inches tall. He keeps trying to get into the conversation. And finally... This is my question. I really came in here today to troll, but like you actually... Pastor Jason comes over to him and several others kind of gather around. Why am I so negative, bro, all the time, bro? Like, why do I just have I'm like negativity all the time, bro? Like, mm. always just want to be mean. Just, like, I just want to bite people, just anger in me all the time. Like, I need Pastors Jason and like, Goose offer very sound spiritual counsel for about 10 minutes. If you want to release that, if you want to really have mm. freedom from whatever mm. the thing is, um, I, I can just tell you, the only answer is Jesus, and here's why. Jason explains a few more things. We would love to help you, and you could send us message. You could DM us. We would love to keep talking with you, Unique. A few of the other folks chime in, and suddenly... And hopelessness, I feel. <laughs> Unique runs out of the room, wailing. It's supposed to be funny. <laughs> I don't know if that was laughter or if that was crying. Uh, Nobody seems surprised. Stuart steps up and explains that he checked messages on Unique's Discord server. The guy was just fooling around. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, because I was going to say that. I know, because he wasn't a troll. He seemed unique. So that wasn't, uh, I mean, unique. He seemed sincere. Unique seems sincere. Yeah. But nobody's upset. They laugh it off and continue with the Q&A. My headset picked that moment to crash. And when I got back to the service, there was Unique, chatting with folks. I find Stuart in the back of the church. Hey, Stuart. Hey, Les. Hey, um, I, uh, my system crashed. I ask what happened with Unique. How come he's back? Stuart starts to explain that Unique and a friend Kenty came in to troll. But then Kenty comes up. What's up, bro? Kenty says it was all Unique's idea. I was in, I was in, oh, I hear you. Kenty and Unique hang around for a while. I don't know what will become of them, but I do know that they heard the gospel and were treated kindly. For his part, Pastor Jason sounds a little frustrated hearing about the problems with VR. He doesn't deny VR has issues, that relationships are different in VR than IRL. But he just wants to preach Christ. And, you know, sometimes it gets me going, but I'm like, I'm like, hey, guys, you don't have to agree with all of it, but can you at least rejoice? Can you at least rejoice the lost sheep were found? In VR, he says, people are open to the gospel. The handful of people in Cornerstone's VR ministry have witnessed to more people and seen more people come to Christ than the IRL congregation. And we share the light. And here and before you know it, you've got people that are matriculating back into the physical church that, you know, that got saved. Can you, can you rejoice in that? And they're still like, no, it's evil. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> like come on, just rejoice. Just rejoice in the one soul that's saved. <laughs> Cornerstone's VR ministry reminded me more of street preaching than a church. I wonder whether taking communion and performing baptisms in VR is a great idea. It can be very meaningful for folks who spend a lot of time in virtual reality. And many American evangelicals would agree with Cornerstone's theology that communion and baptism are symbols. Here's Jason again during the service. And the reason why we're able to do this is because communion is symbolic. It is something that the juice and the, and the bread, uh, there's nothing magical about them specifically. It is about our heart being inclined to our Savior and remembering his sacrifice. And so 
That is why we can do this virtually, why we can do it remotely. Like so, that is a too casual approach to a symbol could well undermine the meaning of the symbol itself. In communion, you share literal food together in person, and that teaches us a spiritual lesson about the sacrifice of Christ and the unity of the body. And of course, Catholics and some Protestant denominations, like Anglicans, will find the idea of taking communion in VR abhorrent. That said, Cornerstone's services in VR deliver the gospel, clearly, to hurting people who desperately need to hear it. And Cornerstone is nudging them, maybe slowly, toward church IRL. The good shepherd goes out and finds the lost sheep. He goes into the rocky canyons where snakes and wolves might be lurking. And if you're a good sheepdog, even a beagle, you go with him. Sometimes that means Stuart doesn't get a lot of sleep. Uh, especially on the weeks where my business takes 100 hours, uh, which is every once in a while. Stuart told me once that he became a Christian when he had the overwhelming sense that God is real. It seems to me that when you're clear that God is real, then illusions become less seductive, but maybe not less destructive. I still have a lot of questions about what effects virtual and mixed reality will have on our culture, on the church, on us, and the right way to respond. These are questions that call for discernment. And while we're thinking it through, Stuart, Jason, and others will be living out what they believe God is calling them to do. If I were not a part of Cornerstone, I would not be in VR chat anymore. Um, there's too many temptations. There's too many. Uh, there's just such such darkness in the people around it. But I'm 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 here, and 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 people are being led. God's using me to lead people to Christ and and to disciple those people. And um, yeah, it's uh, it's really humbling. Thanks for listening to this episode of Double Take. I'm Les Sillers, and I reported this episode in real life and in virtual reality, I guess, and produced it with the help of the creative team at The World and Everything in It. Next time on Double Take. Uh, so it was a Friday, the day, and he went to the church. There was a girl working there, uh, and uh, she said she was the last one seeing him. So she said when he came to church, he was restless. And then one o'clock, he left the church, walked in this street with his bag. So I just went out in the streets, and I was stopping every police in the street asking what has happened. And he was like, somebody, a proi, proi, has been shot. And I was like, is he alive? Where is he? And he said, go to the hospital. Please do take a minute to rate and review us. It's super important for helping others find this program. And email us with your comments at doubletake at wng.org. We want to hear from you, and we read everything. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time.